I think One Nation's been the only consistent political party for the last 20 years. They're not talking about you. Right. Well, let me tell you, One Nation is talking about you. run away from One Nation. They're too scared to ask us any questions, mainly because we're straight talkers and we've got the answers. This is like a call to arms. You guys need to start making the real decisions and who you're going to vote for. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Ex-Candidates. My name is Stephen Tripp and as always I'm joined by Adam Zara. How are you going, Adam? <laughs> I'm pretty good, mate. How are you going? Good. I almost just called you Zara then. Yeah, Zara. <laughs> Zara, Zara from MacArthur. <laughs> and uh, we're up to episode 20. And wow. tonight we have on uh, Ricky Lee Terrell from Victoria. She's running in the Victorian election in the northern, is it the northern districts area? Uh, yeah, so it's northern Victoria. That's what it's known as. Yeah, okay. okay. And you, you uh, is it Shepparton that you're, you're based in? Uh, yeah, so I am halfway between Shepparton and Cobram. Cobram's on the Murray River, so I'm just straight down between the pair. Yeah, and you're, it's so you're really central in my the, seat. And you're affected by the floods at the moment, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm isolated. It's kind of hard to get out to go anywhere, even to get some groceries. So last night we shot into Shep before roads and all were going to close just to make sure we could fill the car up, get groceries. So we're pretty good at the moment. Can wow. you give us an update of how bad the floods are? Uh, they're really bad. Um, so Echuca at the moment, they've been screaming out for sandbags uh, since yesterday. So I was driving home from Mildura. I cut my campaigning trip short there a day and I headed home so I could make it home. Before I even got home, I was on the phone. I had phone calls coming in. We're desperate. We don't know who to call. Uh, we need sandbags all because it was a Saturday so all the MPs' offices were closed and they didn't know who to contact. So I did some ringing around and one of my mates who's actually an upper house member, he uh, contacted the deputy premier for me and they said that they're onto it, they're aware of it. But, look, I had um, another video sent to me today, this is them, and that's actually pillowcases. They bought out all the pillowcases in Big W at Echuca. Oh then God. Andrews was actually on a Vic emergency um, conference just before I left for Echuca, and he was so confident saying, we don't need to worry, there's going to be sandbags galore, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we're prepared. And these guys, so desperate, I've actually put out posts and I've had farmers coming in with old sacks of uh, old seed and stock feed sacks that they've got sitting in their sheds just to help out. Wow. So it's really it's really wow. bad. It seems that um, the Premier's forgotten that Victoria continues on from, say, Ballarat, Bendigo, Shepherd and Wangaratta. It keeps going. It goes up more north. So there's a lot of people struggling. <clears throat> so New South Wales can't get anything down to I know, I think at Moema, just north of Echuca on the other side of the river, uh, Levy Bank's broken there too. They've got a lot of sandbags happening there, but the bridge, you can't get in either way because it's flooded on both sides. So they mm. can't, yeah, I know. <clears throat> it's really unfortunate. Uh, so that's just Echuca. We've got Rushworth, Murchison. They're all under Shepparton, a big chunk of Shepparton's under and Marupna, which is just uh, eight west of Shep. There's a Corwasway. Um, all that's shut now. And it goes out east as well, Benalla. There's so many places that are underwater and there is more rain coming this week, another couple of inches apparently. Dan Andrews and the um, current government, Labor government, are they doing anything? Have they sent a message across? Have they sent the SES? Or, or, do you have SES down in um, Victoria? Yes, we yeah. do. Um, but at Echuca, they've they've said no SES were there at all today at the sandbagging station. So one of the sandbagging stations that's up and running, uh, the football club's doing it, and there's a lot of volunteers there. I think there's four happening at the moment. The army is there. Uh, they were sandbagging around the power station, I believe. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, I'm having. I'm wondering now. I'm not certain, but I'm wondering if a lot of the SES 
because there's uh, so much happening at the moment, the SES is spread. Um, they're really scarce in numbers. And I'm wondering if a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of people who were involved in the volunteer services are no longer involved in the volunteer services because they had to be jabbed to be a part of it as well. <laughs> I think that, that might be playing on it a bit because we did see a lot of people leave our emergency services because of that very reason. Yeah. Um, but what we do have the services available at the moment, there's not enough. So naturally the community is getting together, rallying, rallying together. Uh, there are other MPs and all local ones in Shepparton. They're doing great. They're out there sandbagging. Council members are sandbagging as much as they can. So wow. the locals are really good. It's just those, say, in the Labor government in Victoria, they'll pop out, photo op, and then they'll nick off. So which is really disappointing. All right. So um, now with the, all the floods that are happening around the area, um, how hard is it? Have, have you been sandbagging yourself? Have you ever sandbagged? No, no, I haven't. Um, I've hurt myself a little bit. So I'm out of action for, I suppose, maybe about three days. But I'm not going to go and push it because I think the cleanup is going to be a lot worse than the initial sandbagging. So I want to make sure that I pace myself and not wear myself out because I'll be Absolutely. more useful that way. No, that's fine. And yeah. that's not a question to try and catch you out either. That's the thing. I actually, we had floods in my area, in my electorate, um, not the last round of floods, but the round before. And um, yeah. what happened was it was I've um, I've went down and volunteered because I'd finally I finished work a little bit early and it was like about 8 o'clock at night and it was pouring rain. And um, I went down to the local place um, to do sandbags. They, that is one of the hardest things I've ever done. In my, I, did, I built, I think I helped out a few volunteers because people come down not expecting that they. I think they expect there's going to be a machine there. They don't realise there's a pile of dirt <laughs> in the rain. And here you go, mate. And what happened was yeah. um, I shoveled, and um, luckily enough. Um, a, fr a friend of mine, he's an SES guy, and he showed me how to do them. And, you know, you basically put, you know, three to four shovels of sand in them, you tie them off, and then you can make the next one. Don't fill them up all the way because it's too heavy. And don't forget you're mm -hmm. talking about wet sand. So the bags can weigh 25 to 30 kilos. So I must have went up before he got down to give me a hand um, because his place was flooding as well, so I was helping him to sandbag his house. Um he came down and it, then when he was showing me how to do it, it became a lot easier. But the, the blisters are bad because the sand gets on the shovels and it grits and it burns and it hurts your hands. I'm going to trade his hands too so they're not soft and it hurts. Um, and then you, it's wet, it's cold, it's uncomfortable and you're in a rush because your house is going under. Um, so I reckon, um, you know, with all these floods that have been happening, um, you know, so, so much for dams not filling and never have enough water supply again, um, we will have to um, – we should invest in um, some sort of sandbagging machine. I think there's machines that you can just put the sandbag and it fills it up and then you can just – so you're not shoveling yeah. the sand. So I think a few – Yeah, that places. would be a good idea. Yeah, so I think yeah. we should um, – A great idea would be preventing the floods with dam walls, <laughs> so <laughs> extending the dams and then perhaps more so even using our water wisely and not holding on to it until it's it's bursting its banks, like letting farmers use it as irrigation water instead of trying to fill the Murray-Darling Basin plan and reach their quota. So there's well, we a lot that we that. could be doing with water more wisely. Well, we can't <laughs> do that because, you know, heaven forbid the farmers have enough water to grow the crops and feed the cows and milk the water the cows so that we can eat. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's Labor build a build a build a dam wall. Oh, better not. <laughs> oh, they'll never be full again. <laughs> and it's also they're saying this is a one in two hundred year event, and they're they're comparing it to nineteen seventy four. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong. I'm not wearing shoes, so I can you know count past twenty. I'm pretty sure we haven't hit the two hundred year mark yet. So. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure we haven't. Yeah. That's that's a very good point. But you raised earlier that there's more rain coming. Is it, what are the, what is the Andrews government doing to prepare for that? Well, I think they're um, changing their undies frequently now, seeing how much is coming. So <laughs> there's um, there's nothing they can do. They're just uh, they're saying that everything's 
you know, they've got a good plan and everything's going to plan, but what I'm seeing and hearing at the other end on the ground is the complete opposite. I've got residents, you know, calling me panicking. I've got people messaging the One Nation Victoria page panicking as well, saying there's nothing here, we need this, we need this. So I think uh, Dan's, his emergency plan, just like his COVID plan, is going to backfire at the cost of Victorians yet again. Yeah, which is always the way. Thing kind of, did you have big yeah. bushfires down there as well last time we had bushfires? I th- the same thing was kind of happening here in New South Wales. Uh, yeah, we did. We did a bit more. That was in East Gippsland. Yeah. Uh, but I was <laughs> um, – that was in East Gippsland. That didn't come out here. But, um, unfortunately, I've got a lot of family over at the south coast in New South Wales at Coolagalite, the place that did get burnt to the ground pretty much. Yeah. So I locked myself in the room for three days and was on the phone constantly. So, yeah. Yeah, well, this is ter- – I mean, these things are terrifying for people, especially when you're facing losing your property and all your belongings mm-hmm. and everything that you've worked hard for throughout, you know, who knows how many years, you know. Why don't governments prepare for these things? Like long-term planning the, to, as you said, build build dam walls and, and levees and, and things to protect people's property and and. Uh, you know, protect lives as well because, you know, sadly people die in events like the, these. Yeah, I think they don't plan for them because they don't think far enough ahead. They're all in the now. They're like, oh, this is the now. And I think planning ahead would involve a little bit of intelligence, which I think a lot of them are lacking in government yeah. and both opposition and a bit of tenacity. You know, they need, they need that gumption to say, okay, it's going to be tough, but this is for the long run. But they don't have the balls to actually do that. Which is really sad. I think the because um, it's a four-year term in the lower house, um, you know. So what happens is that in four years, I think they're just praying and hoping that there's no real emergencies that they have to deal with. And then what happens is it becomes the next government's problem. So um, yeah. you know, maybe we should be swapping the whole thing around between upper house in eight years and lower house in in um, in four years. Maybe lower house should be eight years and upper house should be. Four years or something like oh, that. Oh no! Then you'd get you'd be stuck with Dan Andrews. We're, we're different. <laughs> it's every every four years, all of them face election again. So oh, there's okay. no double tens. No, it's every four years. Yeah. The Victorian system. Sorry. The Victorian system is completely different than the New South Wales system or even the federal system as well. Uh, can you we we yeah. talked about this with Warren last week, but for some people that didn't listen, and I encourage everyone to listen to the episode we did with Warren Pickering because we're getting fabulous re- reviews. He's he's tremendous. I'm yeah. sure you know him very well. But can you just explain? Yeah, I had a good birthday today, actually. Oh, well, happy birthday, oh, happy Warren! Birthday, Warren. <laughs> it's his fortieth. Oh wow! Oh, yeah, he's doing he's doing well for forty, I must say. Uh, but. Can yeah. you just explain how the Victorian system works? I think the the lower house is pretty pretty standard, but the upper house is completely different. You you guys have eight different uh, regions, is it? And they and they comprise of yep. eleven districts each. Uh, so there's uh, five upper house seats in each of the upper house regions. Okay. So is that what you're trying to say? And then within them, they have their lower houses and one seat per each. So that's the same for, I say, uh, New South Wales and federally. It works the same for the lower house. But when it comes to the upper house, we do have those different regions with Mm -hmm. five seats available for the upper house. So uh, in my seat, we've got two Labor, one Liberal and uh, two more Independents that hold the seat. It is huge, my seat. So yeah, I'm, got, I'm lucky enough to be. I don't know if you be... can see that on your phone, but uh, yeah, we've, got, we've got the map at the moment. So it goes from Mildura all in the east, oh, sorry, the west, to the west. Uh, and what, what, ben, Benabra, is that how you say it? Benambra? Uh, where are you looking? Benambra? Oh, in the, yeah, in the east. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it is huge. And then it goes down into the northern suburbs of Melbourne. So oh, wow. it is – she's a massive seat. And I'm lucky – look, I live pretty much in the middle of it. So it's still a hefty drive. To get out to Mildura, it's a five-and-a-half-hour drive for me. That's a that's a big so commitment that you're undertaking. It is. But, look, I love it. I love travelling around and going to all these different places. And it's – it's very varied. We've got mountains to the east and then it, it's we've got like 
um, the the flat plains, the irrigation plains in the middle, and then we go out west. And uh, Mildura is just its own unique little environment. It's kind of like a Queensland town nearly. It feels like a Queensland town more than anything. So it's a great place to go for a holiday, actually. <laughs> and yeah, and they're just so out there on their own. It's it's amazing how different it is. And then you go down and down south into the seat and you're in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. Wow. And you tried to head out to Mildura this week. Did you did you end up making yeah. it? I did. I did. So the first day I was supposed to be at the show on a Friday, but it rained all day, so the show was cancelled. So I played tourist and went around and had a look at a few businesses and tourist attractions there, which is really great. And in the evening, I headed out to the Murray-Darling Junction, which is where the Darling and the Murray River meet. Mm -hmm. And that was really good to see. Uh, It's it's starting to flood slowly, but nothing like what up here is at the moment. But soon enough, they'll be feeling that. And it was really good to see that part of the Murray-Darling Basin because so much of what I've done in politics at the moment was on the Murray-Darling Basin. So that's how I fell into politics was through water. Okay. Do you want to expand on that? How, what what led you to – you've run before, is that right? You've, you've, this yeah. is not your first yeah. time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this will be my first state election, though. I've run in two federal elections previously. So in 2019, that's when One Nation kind of stumbled upon me. Um, I bought a farm out here with my husband. Uh, we moved out here. We, we'd never lived on the Murray-Darling Basin before. And so 12 months in, I'm like, oh, what's going on with the water? It was supposed to be, you know, good to grow stuff because the irrigation was supposed to be available, but the prices went through the roof and they actually stayed there. They don't normally do that. So I started asking questions. Uh, lots of the neighbours were really helpful because I was watching the, the whole community around me was just shutting down and I thought, something's going on here. It, it's so um, I went to my local member who's a nationals man and he's like, oh, that's good. Um, we'll run you for the seat of Shepherd. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty quick. <laughs> so I did a little bit of research, realised that nationals were tied up in the water business in a very dirty way and I was like, no, I am not joining your team whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, I did uh, more research on every single party available in Victoria to see who was trying to fix and fight for the water for people the right way. One Nation was the only one that had consistency and honesty and were trying to do what I thought was the best way to go about it. So I sent them an email and that's how it happened. So we were in Parliament House a few weeks ago. And um, they, they, they were still debating the water runoff of the farms about water capture for farm farmers and farmland. And basically, um, from my understanding, it got voted down that, that you're not allowed to capture any water, rainwater or anything on, on your land in New South Wales anymore because it affects the runoff and flow into the Murray-Darling and then the basin from because the Murray-Darling goes up into New South Wales as well. It runs along the borderline, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I think it, the Darling starts around Burke. Yeah. That's where the Darling River starts, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, like, um, and what happened was I've had some farmers, they used to be um, when I spoke to farmers around my area because my area has a bit of, we're close to farmland as well, so it's kind of, it was rural and then it's kind of been developed into, like, city now. Um, so we were only ever allowed to capture um, 10% of water, rainwater that falls on our land. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the farmers um, had to partition the council and actually got it raised to 30% off memory. Um, but um, licensing and um, fees and all that kind of stuff for water capture was very, very expensive, making farming very um, not not viable so much anymore. How are you dealing yep. with it down there? You said you have a farm and that you were going to grow. Are you growing anything or you have cattle or do you have anything like that? Uh, yeah, so... So we bought our first farm in 2018 here, my husband and I. He's a fifth-generation dairy farmer from the Bega area, and we moved out uh, on our own, and the drought came to town with us at the same time, unfortunately. So we stuck it out until last year, and we had to sell. Um, We came out, and we nearly broke even, so I think we just about finished paying off all our debt now. So we were lucky enough that another dairy farmer, um, he was keeping an eye on my husband and he's like, I'm not going to let that kind of talent just leave the industry. Too many young dairy farmers are doing that. So he's bought this farm that we're on now 
for um, my husband to run and then start buying it off him. So we're really lucky in that respect. So we don't own this farm. He's managing it. It's twice the size of the one we had. So we're on 400 acres and we will nearly be milking 700 cows come Christmas time. So at the moment there's 450, I think, on the platform. So we, we've we got a lot of, um, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of cows there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, so we do grow uh, the feed that they're on, but we're also, we buy off other farms. So across the road from us, there's a cropping farmer and he's got over 6,000 acres. So we'll, we're trying to get him to grow some stuff for us as well. Uh, and we, we use other farms. So you've got your animal producers and then you've got your grain producers and stuff. And we all kind of keep each other going, which is really good. Well, what so, a but with the water. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic community. Don't get me wrong. That's why I'm, I've dug my heels in and I'm, I'm at my husband. Look, honey, I said, if you ever want to leave, go. I said, but I'm, I'm staying. This is it. Um, this is home now. So I've fallen in love with the community and the land, everything here. It's great. I love it. Uh, the water, um, it's it's a hard thing here because uh, legislation was, um, it, it changed, so they took water off the land. Now, when I say that, that means that farmers, when they were doing it really tough when the interest rates went up, they were able to sell off their water entitlements. Mm-hmm. And so that separated water from the land. And then uh, we had investors buying the water. So people who own water don't use it at all. And then they, they keep the price up for when farmers actually need to buy it back to use to irrigate. That's how it's destroying so many people in our industry. Um, there's a few farmers around that do still have a bit of permanent water, but uh, lots of newcomers like myself and my husband, we've learned the hard way that you've pretty much got to be able to pay for you know permanent water and it costs it costs a lot of money and we just couldn't afford it so we're we're gonna have to start again that's just criminal how they can privatize water it is and and they it's still happening um no government is trying to do anything to change it to make it less attractive to investors malcolm has come up with a really great uh water policy federally and that does make it very unattractive for a lot of investors changing the way certain things are done so if you have um say if you have water attached to your land you're not allowed to um sell it on you're only allowed to use it and if you're an investor who owns water you can only have it for so long um, but you're not allowed to hold on to it and carry it over. So carrying over is a thing that it's a term that we use for different seasons. So you can hold on to that water to the next season yeah. if there's enough room in the dam. And, um, yeah, and then you can put the price up more if it's drier. And you hold on to it and it just puts the price up more and more and more. So they basically just let it evaporate to, to drive the price up. Yeah. So if you have land, though, here's the catch. This is great. Uh, if you have land, we have a um, a system. It's called. Oh, how can I forget it? <laughs> it's uh, we actually have to pay to have access to the water. So they're called delivery shares. There you go. So we have to have we have to pay per whatever the capacity we have to irrigate. We have to pay for that. So on our old farm it was 4.1 megs it was that's what it was called the delivery share and that was $28,000 a year that's not using water that's just to have access to it and <laughs> um you you have to have them if you don't pay those fees and they keep you know they build up and build up so even if you're not using water you still have to pay those fees you literally have to pay somebody to buy your delivery shares off you if you want to get rid of them Really? Oh, it's not making sense to you guys. I know it's really complicated. No, but as, as Malcolm Roberts points out, that was John Howard that introduced all this. It was a Howard government. So that was a, it a was a Howard government. government. But Barney, Joyce, and Mark Taylor were tied up in it um, a lot. So if you do your research and you look back at history, you'll see that they're in there. They're rolling around it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm just going to ask a really uh, – nerdy question or a geeky question with with these payments these fees are you able to claim those on tax at all like are they tax deductible uh, i think a little but not too much so get the whole amount. yeah no 
No, yeah. the Victorian government did do something just recently, though. So uh, with farmers that did have delivery shares and a lot of them, they gave us a little bit of permanent water. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't heaps. I, I don't know exactly what ours was. My husband was dealing with it because I was busy trying to pack up a farm and move yep. the house, and I had COVID at the same time, so I was crook mm-hmm. as a dog. Uh, and that's when all that was happening. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. So I don't understand. Yeah, I just don't understand. So if water, if it rains on your property, you're not allowed to build another dam and capture any of that because somebody else owns it. Uh, you can here. So with with Victoria, especially our irrigation district here in northern Victoria, we are metered to the extent that we have satellites taking photos of our farms. So if we are growing a crop and it's green and but we haven't bought any water, they actually send out somebody to investigate to make sure that we're not stealing it. So we have automated uh, meters on all of the, the gates and whatnot along the channels to know exactly how much water is coming and going. So they've even they've even lined a lot of them with uh, plastic so there's no runoff and it doesn't seep through and, you know, water the environment. That's something a lot of them are missing, that, that it's, it's its own natural uh, waterways. So a lot of the farmers are trying to tackle it from an environmental uh, angle to say that... Um, Farmers do need water because we we are our own ecosystem along our water channels. We've got we've got a lot of water birds that even nest in them. A lot of frogs, uh, fish. Mm. You can some like there's plenty of carp, but you can also catch bass and um, cod in them sometimes. So, yeah, green arguments yeah. only work for the Greens party in their favour. They don't work for anybody <laughs> else. So that's <laughs> that's not going to work. So, so apart from yeah. going in there and taking it. It ain't going to happen because, uh, you know, it's only when a, a Greens party yeah. finds a, you know, yellow-spotted tree frog um, in an area that we want to build a hospital or if we want to build a, I don't know, an airport in is that they'll stop it. So, um, yeah, the green argument doesn't work when you're unfortunately wearing an orange shirt. That's Sorry. a clear example of government overreach that they can, you know, view your uh, farm from a satellite to make sure that you're not using too much water, which there shouldn't be a, you know, a, they don't really have jurisdiction over water, I would think. Like, what, what, how is it up to the government? And I'm pretty sure it says in the constitution that water cannot be privatized or, or sold or something along those lines. I'll have to. I'll have to. It's section 101. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably know it better it's, than I do. So, yeah. how do they get away with it? Like, yeah, just, yeah. I used to have it up on the wall. <laughs> Sorry. I said I used to have it up on my wall. I forget it word by word, but I know that it says uh, no government or body should in breach the right to water to any community uh, farmers or people, I think. Something yeah. along those lines. Not exact words, but exactly that. But they've gone ahead and done it. Well, I think the problem with that is because um, the law is what you accept. So when they when the majority accept it, instead of rioting or picketing or making noise about it, and then all of a sudden this small tax a small tax comes in, and everyone's kind of like, oh, we can deal with the small tax. And then it slowly no, don't realize that it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's unaffordable. Oh. But it becomes um, give the them an inch, they take a mile. Sorry. Yeah. I said you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Yeah. So I think that's what that's the, the government seems to work. That's the problem with the constitution. Yeah, is that look, we accept if we accept it, then it becomes kind of part of the constitution, even though it's not written in the constitution, as far as I can understand. And I think a lot of law is actually like that. I know family law courts like that, status quo, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all right. It's just it's a really unfair system, and it does need fixing. And when I saw how. Uh, I wouldn't say corrupt. It is corrupt. There is a lot of people in there that we've been trying to expose that are benefiting from it, that are involved in government. Um, It's just so unjustified. And, look, farmers even get charged if water leaves their property. If it goes down the drains, we get charged. Like, we have drainage channels. And that, that just goes straight back to, you know, either the next farm or back to the waterways, but we still get charged for that. So we recycle our water like crazy because we, we don't want to be paying those excess um, drainage fees either. Wow. So you're damned so, if you do. Wow. So you're on a milking farm. So you're on a milking farm. Yeah. And, um, That's called a dairy. 
<laughs> so yeah, sorry, a dairy farm. Sorry, <laughs> uh, well, city slicker me. Although I gotta tell you something, I didn't work on the farm for a little while, um, and I know how to milk a yeah. cow. I'll squeeze from the top and squeeze that down. <laughs> but, um, uh, what was I going to say? The um, New Zealand have just introduced a methane tax from um, animals, as and then they're thinking about bringing that over to. I think Labor have been talking about bringing over a um, methane tax because you know the environment um <laughs> so as far as i'm concerned i think you know cows cattle and farming is part of the environment and i didn't realize how you can get taxed on something that's you're getting taxed on the environment for the environment by the environment or something uh, like that it's insane so you're yeah, getting taxed look the labor government yeah, the labor government is um predominantly city-based okay so they live metro and they're surrounded by cars and whatnot. I, I say lock me in a garage with a cow all night mm-hmm. compared to locking me in the garage with a car running, and I tell you who'll come out the winner. It'll be me and the cow or Labor and the cow. It'll, it'll be me and the cow. Me yeah. and Bessie are going to come out happy as laughing because, um, look, the environment needs those gases. They're natural gases from the cows and whatnot. They've been around for longer than any political party and the world continues on just as well as she has, um, just the same with climate change. Their climate change agenda, I'm like, for God's sake, it's, it, it's seasons, mate, not a big catastrophe that, you know, humans aren't controlling it. <laughs> it yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So obviously farmers need a, a bigger voice. Um, how, how, do they, how, how can we get farmers more represented in, in government? Obviously you're standing up for, for farmers. What what is what is like? Yeah. Obviously, their population is a lot smaller, and they're not covered by as many as elect, many electorates as as uh, city people are. They just they just don't seem to have a voice with any of this. Like, what what can we do for, to to benefit? It's hard. Help? Yeah. It is hard, but I mean, if you get people like me in who are passionate about agriculture and who are also quite friendly and open-minded and flexible and persuasive into parliament, I can make connections and friends and network with other people who are sitting and say, look, this is this is how it is. This is how it's going to be if you don't pay attention. And I'll, I'll you know, I'm the kind of person who, I was compared to a rock the other day because I was so stubborn. And um, and I was like, I'm not that stubborn in my head. They're like, yeah, you are. <laughs> so, look. I had I had another MP that I rang up the other just yesterday and said, okay, I don't know who to contact. That bloke ended up bringing the deputy premier for me. Okay, if I can achieve this kind of stuff just from my phone at home, imagine what I can achieve in Parliament for the people of Northern Victoria and even further. Because I have I've networked. I've been here for three and a half years. Other politicians already sitting and candidates and parties know who I am. I've got a reputation now. I've built that up and I think that's a really good spot for me to start in Parliament. I've exposed myself to different parliaments, both state and federal now. I've made sure I've gone out and I've learnt how it works um, in the offices and it's it is it's a, it's a different environment and I feel like I'm good because I'm in between. I can, I've got my feet on the ground here in the community. I'm surrounded by people that I know. If my head goes too high into the clouds, they're going to reef me back down to earth in a heartbeat. And farmers are very, very political people. <laughs> I wasn't political until I met my husband. So I was not raised in a political household. But farmers are very political people and they're very aware of what's happening. It's because I think it directly affects them so much because the the farming industry it involves it, it's it's it encompasses so much water land food yep. you know crops everything um is involved with it even you know you know some like air and nautical you know with crop dusting and crops and all that kind of stuff and flights and airplanes all that so it kind of covers a lot of air like a lot of the major issues with government. So I think um, if they're not switched on to what's going on um, with Parliament and, and with their MPs and, and governing bodies, then they'll just get absolutely taken to the to the farmhouse, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, look, we're generally the first people to feel it when there's a change in legislation or anything. Uh, it's because we're working on the land, uh, we feel the taxes because we we 
we do make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money to make that money to produce. So a lot of the times farmers will be literally spending money to produce. Then we've gone a lot without any any income. So you'll have the wife, she'll go and work off farm. And so she's got her feet on the ground in town. So we get the best of both worlds. We're we're staying in touch with, uh, we'll say townies, but what's going on within town there and then also out in the land. So we get the best of both worlds here, which is really good. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to somebody, sorry, Stephen, I was speaking to somebody last night just talking on like about cows. And um, in Victoria, are there mandates on cows to be, and I've got to be really careful here because we're shadow banned, right? Well, we'll get shadow banned straight away. Um, you know, the C dash. No, there's not. There's not? Okay. You've checked on that? Not yet, but as soon, yeah, as soon as um, it comes around, I'll be screaming like a banshee. Don't you worry. Yeah, because we so, know yeah, that it no, resumes the milk and we know that, you know. Okay, good. Um, make sure you let us know if something comes yeah, up like no. that because I'm sure that Stephen and oh, I will. Will, will come down and, and we'll, we'll, we'll actually – We'll go. To, we'll go and sit in Parliament with you, and we'll yell out. You know, <laughs> we'll yell out across the floor as well. Don't worry. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, yeah. no. Um, Senator Robertson's office sent me the thing and said, "Is this true?" And I was like, "Well, I'm not New South Wales because it was one for New South Wales." So I rang up my family who are dairy farmers in New South Wales. I said, "Has, has this come across you guys? Because they're in the Bega Valley, a big dairying area." And they're like, "No, we haven't heard of it yet." So hopefully, it's just it's not real. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. But uh, obviously, these fingers are important crossed. issues. Yeah, you, you just, you just, you, that's the problem. You hear about these things, and people say, "Oh, no, no, it's not happening. I haven't heard anything yet." Then three months later, it's like in your face. There it is. So it's just like an incremental type thing that comes out of nowhere. But obviously, these issues for farmers are, are important. But with a state election coming up, it's these are not the only issues. What other issues are important? Uh, for Victorians with the election coming up? Well, I'm pretty certain roads is going to be a hot topic since a lot of them are um, bubbling away right now. They're disintegrating. So rebuilding our roads infrastructure will be a top priority. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of roads, when I say bubbling away, is the water is getting under them and they're forming massive bubbles and then they're popping, they're erupting and just falling away. It's amazing the pictures that are coming out. Uh, but putting millions and millions of dollars back into roads is one thing, making sure you do it properly and that the money is spent wisely and not doing a cheap-ass job on it is another thing. We have to ensure that our roads are built properly. So that will be one thing that I'll be pushing for to make sure that they're not just going to pour a heap of money at making dodgy roads. So that will be a top priority. Education is another one. Um, A lot of, look, my daughter's 12 years old and she comes home, she goes, I just want to learn normal stuff. She goes, I want to learn to read, I want to learn to write, and I want to do maths. They keep focusing on um, issues that aren't essential to kids in the academic development. They're they're teaching kids how to behave and how to treat one another, and I think that's a parent's job, not the teacher's. Yeah, in all honesty. So putting education back in there, we do have a medical staff crisis um, and I would be pushing and pushing for um, more Australian-trained medical staff to keep it homegrown, stop relying on foreign um, interests to come over and do the job. So, yeah, it's just uh, – did you want more? I know. Uh, <laughs> it's Victoria. What Warren last week brought up, uh, is it Vic Roads just became privatised? Is is that – It did. New? How is that possible? Yeah. Oh, come on, it's Daniel Andrews. Victoria is his to sell to whoever he pleases. <laughs> oh, yeah. So getting rid of debt, I think, would be the top priority for all Victorians right now um, to stop him from continuing to sell off our uh, our state. You, you, you just raised all those issues, but one massive issue is, is Dan Andrews going to be held accountable for everything that happened during the pandemic or is that out of the picture now? Is, is no one talking about it? People still want to see him held accountable. Uh, After this, I'm hoping he loses a lot more followers again because he is failing again. Uh, Holding him accountable 
look, you'll have to change a lot of legislation because he's um, he's immune to all that, it seems. So you've got to have a lot of people who want to change. Look, uh, a lot of politicians do want to see him punished, but if he gets punished, then they also make themselves open to be held accountable. So we've got to make sure that whoever we elect in has the integrity to put in legislation to um, bring accountability to politicians, stop making them so exempt from the laws that everybody else has to, you know, abide by. Well, I'm, I'm not talking about taking him out and whipping him in the street or anything like that, but, like, how can he I think a lot government? of people would like to see that, though. We could take him to Sovereign Hill, put him in the gallows, and then whip him like they That's used to. That's what I think would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Let the let the people show him what they think. Look, he he slinks in and out of town for a photo op, and nobody knows that he's been here. So this isn't this isn't the kind of territory that really welcomes him with open arms. Uh, it's more a conservative seat up here, which is great. Um, but there are there are Labor supporters. We have a lot of people moving from Melbourne to regional Victoria, and. It is a bit concerning because a lot of them still think Labor's their saviour. And where does the Liberal Party and the National Party sit in all of this? Because we were blown away by Warren, and a lot of our viewers were as well. He was he was tremendous, and you you were very impressive as well. So obviously, big ticks for One Nation. That from our perspective, anyway, I know we're biased, but is the Liberal Party and the National Party are they an effective opposition or is it time for people within those parties to look at parties like One Nation and say hey maybe you guys need to take up the fight because we're just not up to it anymore Yeah I it's it's really interesting that you say that because I exhibited at a field days a 3 day field days uh, a couple of weeks ago I had so many people come up to me and say look I'm a liberal member and I was a liberal supporter but they just aren't conservative anymore they've gone too far left they've lost their backbone and now they're falling into say one nation territory so we look to be the new conservative party that people are searching for one nation's been around for a quarter of a century uh we've stuck at it there's a lot of new parties coming up that are trying to do the same but as fast as they come up they're fizzling out as well uh we do have um, some people say, oh, you should all band together and this and that. I was like, why should we band together with other parties? Um, we've been here the longest. We've stuck our ground. Um, it's it's a bit sad because these new parties that are coming that have very, very similar policies to us only fracture our vote. But it will be interesting to see how it goes in the state election. We haven't run in the state in Victoria before with One Nation uh saying that our system our voting system for the upper house is very manipulated too so it is going to be interesting to see how that goes because we have a who i i dub satan but he's called the preference whisperer yeah. he actually um yes you've heard of him yeah uh so i haven't entirely wrapped my head around how it works and it's so complicated how he does it but he does. He literally manipulates the vote of voters. So that's definitely one thing that, the, you know, our party, the conservative one nation, would be fighting for if we got our foot in the door is to band together with other crossbenchers and the Liberals and Nationals. They want to see him gone as well because he doesn't benefit them. It's only Labor and people that support uh, a lot of Labor sort of so Animal Justice Party and all that, they got in because of him, um, is to legislate this this type of business out. It's not illegal what he does, but it's not right either. It's just well, he, it's it's so wrong when it goes to the vote. He works for the highest bidder, doesn't he? He works for what, sorry? Doesn't he work for the highest bidder? So whoever puts up the most cash gets his gets his, you know, his benefit or his sway. Something like that. I've heard rumours that it's a, I think this is what I've heard and read from other people that have used him in the past, that it was a, a $5,000 fee up front and $50,000 if he gets you the seat. So, But, look, people are willing to pay that to get their foot in the door, but then when they get in there, they're like, oh, maybe we want to use him again. 
So there are a lot of parties out there like Shooters, Farmers, Fishers, Liberal Democrats. Liberal Democrats is a party that preaches about freedoms and liberties, but they're manipulating the votes of their voters. Uh, You know, they use him. They swear by him. So it's really disgusting. And a lot of these other newer parties that are coming up, it will be very interesting to see if they're willing to use him as well at the cost of voters. Yeah, that's right. And well, the, the Liberal Democrats yeah. don't don't even hide it. They they rely on him. That's that's the end of the the story. Like they they just shrug yeah. their shoulders and say, "Well, that's that's he's not doing anything legal." So yeah, and that's the thing. But him. but it's a politician's job to make the law. So mm. you're there to make law for what's right for the people, not for yourself. They're very self-serving, in my opinion. If that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Well, speaking Sorry, of this is, um, that's just my opinion. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, speaking of um, selling your soul, and um, you brought the word, you mentioned Satan a minute ago. So, yep. I just received an. I just looked up. Uh, there's just an article here, just on one of my news feeds. Um, the HeraldSun.com put up an article um, that the the number of people who worship the devil have doubled in Australia, with Victoria emerging as the country's satanic capital. <sighs> So how do you think? Wow. That? So how? Do, I mean, I can't get into the article, but uh, I haven't read it. But uh, have you um, seen anything like that? We've seen um, uh, uh, Joel Jamal talk about it on um, Turning Point Australia, actually, um, about some of the statues that are going around about like de- uh, they're like demigods with skulls in their hands and they're like a male body with a fe- a male face with a female body and stuff like that. Um, you know, have you seen anything like that? Not around here, but I think if kids got caught doing that, they might find a pitchfork poking them in the behind. So yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen any of that up here. It's probably more around Melbourne, which wouldn't surprise me at all. So, you know, I haven't seen that. But now that you've mentioned it, I'm going to keep an eye out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no worries. Well, that's just to try and lighten it up just a little bit, you know, we're throwing another little wet. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I suppose one of um, his... His servants, uh, when he comes to town, old Denny boy, he gets chased out pretty fast by the locals. So. <laughs> well, that's why farmers <laughs> will smell her out any time of the any day of the week, right? Was it a wolf in uh, yep. in the hens in that? What is it called? A fox in the hens hen house? So uh, yeah, a fox in the hen house. Look, we don't have time for bullshit. We're too busy. In all, yeah. my husband hasn't had a day off in over three years. Oh, it's wow. tragic. So uh, yeah, we don't have time for that kind of stuff. So you I'm know, definitely. Straight to the job. And that's the problem, you know, that people don't realise. It just becomes a habit, you know, because um, humans are so adaptable that, you know, you you think um, if you put the extra work in that you will, you're you freeing up time later on, but then a year goes by, the second year goes by, the third year goes by, the fourth year goes by, and all of a sudden seven days a week just becomes um, a nonstop cycle of just um, continuous work. Um, I don't think that anyone should have to work this hard i think we need to as a government as um you know as politicians we should be figuring out a way to be able to give people a way back to life you know everyone everyone deserves a day off or to you know and yeah sure enough if you've got something that you want to work hard for go work hard for it but you should be able to get it um you know i don't mind working seven days a week in a nutshell you're trying to say you've got to work to live not live to work Work to live, not live to work. Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. We should yep. make that a motto this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be great. It's uh, Getting staff is really hard out here at the moment. So it's getting people wanting to work. But then that takes it back to the education system. So we've raised a generation of cotton ballers who expect everything just to be handed to them. You know, you show up, you get an award. So I think we should take it back to the very basics okay kids if you want something you got to work for it if you want to win that race you've got to train you know that kind of thing um and i i call it the cotton ball generation at the moment because they are they're so soft so yeah it's like your words hurt me i need a safe space it's like they're only words mate you know go out into a paddock and do 10 hours of work then tell me how sore you are after yeah. my then, words then you, yeah. well then you'll understand what sore actually what hurt actually is yeah, right. exactly. You, you know, because when you when you go and do your first hard day's worth of work and you can't wake up, you can't walk the next day, that's hurt. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, look, and then, like people like your husband do it seven days a week, and and a far, and 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 dairy farming, I can imagine that's it's an early rise and late finish, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, sometimes if 
he's got he's got other jobs to do as well. Look, we've got milkers here that do help, but they need days off. They go on holidays, so we step in and we do it when they're you know when they're off. But then he's also got to do everything else on top of that, which is feed cows, do fences, paddock work, uh, fix machinery. So it's it's consistent. That's for sure. You're but, speaking um, about. Look, um, uh, Sorry, you were speaking about education. Uh, obviously, I think a lot of the push for, for kids these days is to go to university, and I think that's what steers them away from farming or industries like Adam and I are in, which is a very hands-on like construction and, and building and things like that. But would you encourage people to go into the farming industry right now or is it just too hard? Oh, look, definitely. There's still a lot. We have um, as as... I would say as lazy, physically lazy as our kids, uh, mentally, those little buggers are quite intelligent when it comes to being innovative and with new technology that we can apply to farming on all levels. Uh, Mm. But they do have to actually physically go out there as well. Um, bringing that back it's it's not hurting kids it doesn't hurt them to learn to work uh it's it doesn't hurt them to learn to lose I've raised my kids to know that no isn't a bad thing losing a a race you don't lose you know you don't lose your top over it if you really want to win it you go out and you practice for it um a lot of schools and parents look they don't even mark their tests anymore in red because it's an aggressive color Oh, I heard that. So, so I heard yes. that. Come off. Yeah. Because I have, uh, I did, sorry, um, when I was at home schooling my my daughter, okay, so um, my mother-in-law is actually like a psychologist and um, I was obviously teaching my daughter her classes and doing her stuff with her and we were just using NAPLAN books. We just threw the computers and threw everything away and we bought the curriculum in books and then I'd say two pages every day of each book, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd go through a market every night. And I've always marked in red because that's the colour to market. <laughs> okay? It's not an, it's not aggressive. It's not passive aggressive. It's not. It's simply different to black and blue. And it's kind of known as the marking colour. Okay. And just yeah. because you, know, you put a little X there saying, sorry, this one's wrong. It's not actually being aggressive. It's not actually, it's saying, hey, this is like a helpful criticism that, you got this one wrong. Why don't you go over it, see where you went wrong, so that you guess what? You won't make that mistake again. I didn't realize that that, that red was an aggressive color until about oh, like you know a year ago when we were in lockdowns in uh, in Sydney. So that sorry again, the wafflers here. No, so, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Look to me, red red is a warning color, and if you're going to mark somebody's test in red, that's warning you need to improve here or warning you're not going about it the right way so my son he's eight years old and i kid you not that kid knows how to farm better than um a lot of people i know he knows what's going on at every other farm around us he knows how to drive a tractor already although he shouldn't um but he does uh he knows machinery back the front and i am insisting he goes to university just before he becomes a farmer, I'm like, just broaden your horizons a little bit, mate. I want to see you travel. Just don't live to farm so much because it costs. Look, my husband's happy what he does. It's great, but it costs his family a lot because we have to go away without him. We go away on holidays without him, the kids and I. So it's it's, it's kind of like I'm a single mum sometimes because he's not there. And it's really sad. He does want to come with us. He's just he's we're struggling to find somebody to uh, have the initiative that he has and the skills. It's the skill set that's the really hard thing to find because a lot of people um, they don't have those skill sets and the initiative to go with it. So you've taken up the challenge to run as a candidate again. You've just mentioned that you often have to go away without your husband. Does that mean you're going to have to take your kids campaigning as well? Are they are they going to come on the road? <laughs> Uh, my 12-year-old daughter, she loves coming, actually. So <laughs> sometimes I take her, sometimes I don't. Uh, she went to the biggest rally, Freedom March, in Melbourne with me after I went the week before to make sure it was safe, and yeah. it was safe and she loved it. Uh, she does get to meet um, a lot of famous people. She likes that part, I think. <laughs> but she's, what's more important is she sits back and she's watching and she learns so she's learning how government works and that's not taught in schools i have i had to learn that in the space of three years and it was a big learning curve but the only way i found to learn it easily was 
to expose myself to the environment. So I was like, okay, can I do work experience in your office? Can I learn what's going on? I just want to learn. And she's picking that up, which is really great. So she's, she, I haven't taken her to parliament yet. Uh, that will be uh, another trip for us when we go to Canberra next. Uh, she does. She stands on the polling booth. She's all the other politicians know who she is, and all their volunteers. Uh, they make sure that the younger volunteers on polling stations are safe. That's one beautiful thing about my demographic here in Northern Victoria. Uh, we might be um, frenemies, I will say, when we're when we're running against each other on an election, but we get along. So yeah. we we make sure it's 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 not worth the hassle that we see in other areas and regions. Say, uh, Labor attacking certain people and vice versa. It's a real dogfight here. It's a pleasant environment. So that's one really really vital thing that. And I like to show her that you know you don't have to be mean to achieve things. You know you can go out and you talk to people. You um you can happily disagree with people and still get along. So she's picking up a lot of that, but it is—it's really good that I am exposing her to it, and I don't try to put my my opinion onto her. Saying one nation's the only way, this and that. She asks questions of other parties too. She's allowed to talk to them and ask, "Why are you doing this this way? Why are you standing for this?" So she gets to see the best of all of them. And um, when it comes to her being old enough to vote. Uh, I'll make sure that she does her research and investigates who's running and their policies and she can make her own informed decision. Hmm. So I am so sorry. I rambled on really long. I was quite passionate about that. (laughs) No, that's good. That's what we want. That's what we want. We want to see your passion. The the people (laughs) want to see your passion. Everyone wants to see your passion. As a matter of fact, when when Stephen and I have ever done anything we get our best um feedback and responses from when we do show a bit of passion people need it because people are passionate. Usually I keep it quite short. <laughs> sorry yeah i said usually i keep it quite short i keep it i kiss it i keep it simple stupid so <laughs> i'm not like warren i'm opposite to warren he uses really big words and i use the most basic words possible so everybody can understand them so when him and I are together, I'm like, words, Warren, words. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right, but that's what, see, that's a balance, but that's the balance because yeah. what happens is Warren can get through to the people with the bigger vocabulary, right? Yeah. You know, and, you know, you're getting through to people with um, the, the simpler vocabulary because what happens is people are made over the whole, uh, encompass the whole thing. I'm a very simple person as well. I speak as simple as I can um, to try and, you know, I, I, throw, I try to throw a big word in every now and then to look smart. But apart from that, I, um, you know, we try to keep it simple because that's what we're about. We want, and One Nation wants people to be able to understand what's going on. We need to cut through, okay, with the scissors of common sense, okay, to get rid of the um, the red tape and the green tape and the blue tape, okay? And what, we want people to understand what's going on. There's too much parliamentary jargon in all the legislation, you know, the lawyers and the accountants and all these people who go in and the bureaucrats just get in there and fill it up with words that people just turn around and go, I've got a cow to milk, mate. I can't read this. Give it to me in a short point form. I'll understand the gist of it and then I'll vote on it. You know, so um, all all, all the power to you. Keep it as simple as you can and, you know, talk when you have to and then just keep going. Like, that's fine. Yeah, look, I want to be the change I want to see in Parliament and that is at least having a politician I can understand when they talk. So if if everybody can understand me, then I know I'm on the right path at least in one step. So that's what I'm doing. But I'm, I, I've am i got little lungs anyhow. I don't want to waste my air on big words. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we're getting to the end now, but I just quickly want to touch on your electorate. You said part of it is North Melbourne. Uh, yeah. Do you have any uh, insights of how the lockdowns affected businesses there at all? Are you in contact with any of the businesses? Uh, not in North Melbourne per se, but I do go down there sometimes, drive through. Everything's opened up again or it seems to have. I think it's uh, because North Melbourne, you've got a lot of big industrial-type businesses there. So it's the more – it's. It's the uh, the smaller family-owned businesses that have really copped the lockdowns hard. Uh, Dan made sure to take uh, care of the corporate buddies but not the family-owned businesses. So a lot surprise, surprise. of them have suffered. 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of them have suffered. Um, gyms and all, like, they had to be really, really uh, crafty in saying that because I have a, there's a Pilates studio that I went to and they had to they had to really um, evolve to try to keep open, but it hurt them bad. And um, uh, cafes, tourism, tourism copped it bad. Look, poor Achuka, they, they've just blow after blow lately. Um, their tourism industry copped it and now it's underwater. Yeah. So they're going to need a massive, um, yeah, it's going to take them a lot longer to get on their feet. Uh, it's, it's just the smaller businesses that really copped it and emergency services. Look, a lot of people in the emergency services, uh, one of our candidates, Ben Mahale, down in East Bendigo, he's actually in my region, He's he used to be a triple zero dispatcher and he left because of uh, the mandates and that, but he's working with a lot of other people within that industry, putting together um, something big and exciting for us, I think, within the week, and we'll see that come through. Uh, he, I'm quite excited about that actually. So he's really going to stick it to him. Yeah, uh, good. He's he's a very switched on man. So hopefully you'll get to have a chat to him. Yeah, no, we've heard we've heard great things about Ben. So we're, we're, he's on the yeah. list. We're excited to, yeah. to uh, get there. So I've been enjoying yeah, some yeah. of the videos that he's been posting as well. So he's been in there and he gets you know I saw I think I saw one at a, a like a fire station or something like that the other day and he was there and he's just talking about and was like you know I'm like well mate this guy's He's pretty good too, so you know. He and that's, is. Yeah, he's he's very good candidate. with all the technology. <laughs> yeah, the class me, of I'm candidate is getting better. Sorry, yeah, sorry, the, sorry. The class of candidate is getting better now. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, um, or the parties are starting. Well, One Nation is starting to realize that we're starting to find yep. some really good candidates because people are starting to get actually more involved, especially after lockdowns and the pandemic. And what happens is a lot more um, cream is starting to rise to the surface, to use one of Stephen's mm. phrases. And um, what happens is, you know, um, the parties are starting to really back. The party is starting to really back now. It's cream. And um, mm -hmm. it's only a matter of time before we catch right up to speed and go head to head with the big with the big players at the moment. You know, like I'm sure that you would have no issue going head to head with Dan Andrews in a conversation, in a debate, and no. you know, especially on. Bring it on! It's stuck in. You know, he knows. I've been exposed to them like over the past three years. Oh, it's all these other politicians and that, and it just does not phase me. Senators, MPs, all their senior parliamentary advisors. It's just. I just trot after them and say, hey, how are you going? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and apparently I have a bit of a knack for it. So <laughs> that's, it's it's good. It will be good. We're one nation next generation. Yeah. It's good to see younger people coming in and actually sticking to it. That's, I think you should change the name of the show to One Nation Next Generation, not ex-candidates. Maybe we should. Maybe we should <laughs> have a look at yeah. it. It sounds like we're being disposed of, but One Nation Next Generation is an up-and-coming kind of name. Now, are we, we going to have to pay down. royalties for that at all? No, I like to plant seeds and watch them grow. That's all. I'm a <laughs> oh, wow, I like that. That's great. <laughs> I can almost see the logo in my head. I can visualise it. So we'll see how we, we yep. can go with it. Go with it. <laughs> all right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been a, a fantastic interview. We had a little bit of a technical thing at the at the start, but uh, we got into it at the end and uh, we were, we, we are super impressed by both you and Warren so far and uh, we're looking oh, forward thanks. to all the other Victorian candidates coming on. So we wish you all the best. Uh, we're, I think this Victorian election is going to be watched by people from all around the world uh, to, to see uh, what the outcome is. So give them hell, get it, get stuck into them and uh, <laughs> hopefully you can get so some uh, if, we can, if we can vote up here, <laughs> it might still be a bit <laughs> Yeah. Oh, don't worry, they'll put in some silly phone system where you can ring in and press one for one and two for two. Oh, no, no. <laughs> just send the mules out, the pack mules. We'll do it that way. It's safer. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. right, exactly yeah. right. So, That's right. Uh, but I, I look forward to helping you guys out in March as well. I'm really looking forward to volunteering and not being a candidate for once. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Well, awesome. yeah. Well. <laughs> well, maybe um, you'll be yeah. in, you, maybe you'll be elected and you'll be in and you'll be too busy. You'll have to fly out. No, I'll the... make time. I will make time. Don't you worry. Yeah. Awesome. Even if I can't do it on election day, I'll come pre-poll. 
Wow, so, awesome, awesome. That's yeah. fantastic. Now, how can people follow you if they want to learn more about you? So I do have my Facebook page up, which is Ricky Tyrrell uh, One Nation. I think that's what it's called. Um, it's easy. It's If it's not Ricky Tyrrell, it's Ricky Lee Tyrrell. So not nobody else has my name. I'm not hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome. So all my details are on there. Yeah. I think uh, it, we're in the process of changing my um, the name, I think, the branding a little bit because of the state election. So if it's not up now, it will be up very shortly, but the page is still going. It hasn't stopped since 2019. Oh, there you go. Wow, that's excellent. Well, yeah. and, they can, and anyway, your viewer, our viewers and um, anyone who's your viewers, if they need to reach out, they can also contact us on um, our um, news on our post feeds and stuff like that, and we can probably figure out a way yeah. to get them in contact with you as well. So we're happy just, to do that. Just email us at the the in, email at the bottom there. Info. There candidates. <laughs> Although we might have to change that to next generation. Yeah, one nation. Yeah, next generation. definitely. Going it's good. I'm glad I remember telling you. Come up with new logos and, and background work. That's a lot of work. Just uh, Steve, and Stephen does it all. Not I don't do anything. I, literally, I just sit here and oh. do this. I do I do research on the um, computer and stuff like that. But Stephen does all the editing, and Stephen's been doing all all the logos and all the branding. That he he's in control of all that. So um, I try to keep it's it. It's good. As, it looks good. Yeah, I try to keep it. Simple. Just change Sorry, the name. But, It'll be even better. Uh, no worries. <laughs> We'll have to have a we'll have to have a board meeting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll catch everyone next time. See you later. Thank you. Thank you.